Well, good morning. Would you guys stand with us today? We're going to begin our service with some worship in the spirit of thanksgiving and just give God all of our thanks for what he's done for us today. As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. As the spirit was moving over the water, spirit come move over us. Come rest on us. Come rest on us. So calm down, spirit. When you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're hearing. I know you are moving. I'm hearing. I know you will fill me. Calm down, spirit. When you move, you make my heart pound. When you fill the room, you're hearing. I know you are moving. I'm hearing. I know you will fill me. Resurrection power 
sound So come on, let the praise get loud Make that empty grave resound there is resurrection power in His name There are days I have seen Filled with heartache and loss That have buried my heart beneath their weight But every time His praise breaks out Dead things rise up from the ground I won't leave my soul inside them Resurrection power when we sing the name of Jesus. Resurrection power when we raise a mighty sound. So come on, let the praise get loud. Make that empty grave breeze out. There is resurrection power. Curse his blood atone. 
the one fine breath and it was finished but not the end he could have known but then the earth began to shake and the veil was torn but what sacrifice was made as the heavens roared All hail King Jesus All hail the Lord of heaven and earth All hail King Jesus All hail breaking through when all was lost he crossed eternity the king of life was on the move for in a dark cold tomb where our Lord was laid one miraculous and forever change Savior over the world. He is Lord over everything, over the whole world. 
And yet he is the Lord of our lives. He cares about every detail of our lives, everything big or small. And that's why every Sunday when you come in, we say if you're carrying a burden, if there's something on your heart, that we just invite you to have a seat to surrender that to God, that we will pray for you, that some people will come around and put their hand on your shoulder. You know, I think often I've had this conversation that people think, oh, my need is too small. There's other needs, people that have more important needs for me to set. It's just not true. God cares about everything. So if you came there, anything that's on your heart that you want God to move in, I invite you to have a seat this morning. And we'll pray for you. Some people will come around just to put their hand on your shoulder. Let me remind you, you are not alone in this. And we'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that it is true that you are the God of the whole world. But it's even more true that you are the God of each and every one of us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you say the very hairs on our head are numbered. You know us that well. So God, we lift up our needs before you this morning. Every need that's represented in this room, whether they're here or somewhere online or wherever they are, we are, Lord. We surrender to you. We say, would you move in these situations? God, would you bring hope where there's no hope? Would you bring healing where we need healing? God, would you bring provision where that's needed? Would you bring restoration in relationships? God, would you just move in our lives? Would you just whisper to each person here again just how much you love them and care for them, Lord? God, we know that you care about us and that you are moving and that you love us, and we thank you for that. We pray not only for our church, but we pray for the other churches in our community. We pray for Watermark Church this morning in Grand Haven. We pray for Pastor Steve and Steve as they lead there. And we pray as they head into this Advent season very soon, God, that their hearts would be surrendered to the mission that you have for them and they would see great harvest there. And we pray for our missionaries around the world too, God. And we say thank you for how they have said yes to the call in their lives. We pray for, for Noah and Kennedy Reynolds as they serve in Thailand, Lord as they serve this community as teachers and, and use their gifts uh, just to bring your name known there. We pray for the scholarship program that they're opening up and the tutoring center that they're starting. God, would you bless them, remind them they are not alone either, and just shower them with your blessings, Lord. God, in all these things, we say we love you and we trust you. We pray these in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You can go ahead and be seated. I want to welcome you to church this morning, so welcome you to All Shores. If you're watching us line, I want to uh, welcome you as well. So glad that you were able to join us in that way. And we would love to connect with you if you're here, whether you're here for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time or you're here every week. We are so glad that you're here and we want to connect with you. If you're new, we'd love for you to fill out that connection card that's in front of you. You can take that to our connection point in the back of the room. We have a gift for you. But more than that, we just want to meet you and connect with you and just help you grow in your faith. And that's true if you've been here for 30 years as well. That, that connection card is the best tool that we have. So use that, fill that out. You can give that to me after the service or take it to the connection point. But we'd love to connect with you and get to know you better that way. This is also the point where we just continue to worship, that we worship through giving God our resources, our tithes and, and our offerings. It's a way that we give back saying, God, we trust you. We trust you with our finances. We want, we want to be a part of joining with what God's doing in this church, in this community, and around the world. So if you came prepared to give, we really do want you to do this act of worship. If you're a guest with us today, there is no expectation or obligation to give. We are just glad that you are here. There's ways to give on the screen behind me. There are offering boxes by all the doors. And we are just so grateful for your generosity so we can continue to be generous in our church and our community. Now, if you're turning your attention to the screen, there is more information about things that are happening here at All Shores. We can often let our current circumstances and situations define who we are. I'm struggling with provision. I must be making God mad that he doesn't want to move in my life. I must need to have more faith. There are all these lies that I think we can tell ourselves. But the question is, how does God see us? Scripture tells us we are his beloved. That God dearly and deeply cares for each one of us. He cares so much for you and he cares so much for me that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die 
on the cross to give his life. We didn't ask for it. We surely didn't deserve it, but he did that regardless. He wants to meet you exactly where you are. The question is, will you allow him to? Welcome those joining us online and all of you here in our Spring Lake campus. This is a third week of a series around a letter written to the early church called Philemon. Uh, before we open up the scriptures, before we get into this final week of the series, I want to invite you to pray in the quiet. We believe it's not about information or persuasion, but it's about revelation. And so I'm inviting you to ask God to speak to you, that we believe he's with us in our doubts, our questions, our joy and moving ahead in those places in between where we're apathetic or we struggle. You be honest with God and pray in the quiet, and then I'll pray for us as well. Lord, I thank you that you want to reveal yourself to us, that you speak and you lead and you help. Oh, I simply pray that you would speak to people among us now and those that are living in doubt and question, those that are feeling uh, apathetic or struggling, those that are doing well, whatever our posture, Lord, would you speak to us? And I pray that anything I have to say that's not from you, it will fall to the ground, it will be forgotten. I ask as well that anything that's from you, your spirit would breathe life into us. Anything you want to just speak directly, you'd do that as well. I join with the psalmist praying the words I speak and the way we respond in our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. It is true. Well, I've been pondering especially the last week for some reason. I Just interactions that I have with people in my day-to-day life and increasingly in the last few years, there's been a trend that I've noticed, and uh, it relates to the fact that whenever you talk to someone and get to know them, there's one part of the relationship, and then once they find out what you do, it changes the conversation. Uh, But what I found is this increasing uh, distrust, I should say, of the church in general as an institution. And it's true of institutions. It's not just the church. That would be true across the board. Research is telling us. But in our country, for example, In 1975, two-thirds of people trusted the church as an institution. It's now one-third, meaning it's dropped in half. And that's not even how us who are part of it still can have some of those things. There's this sense of of moving away from the life of the church. And I've told this story before, but it it always comes back to me when I think about this kind of slow uh, distrust some years ago in Russia, the church was really dying, and many of them had shut down. And there was one in particular, a church in an area that had been empty for decades, and someone decided to buy it. And uh, after they decided to buy it, they went out to see it, and literally the building was gone. It was not there anymore. And so they began to see what had happened over the last few decades, and what had happened was it wasn't gone all at once. People came into the building and just began to take bricks away. And brick by brick, over time, first part was gone, then another. And over the course of a few decades, the whole building was completely gone. But what it had left was brick by brick. There, little at a time, one brick after another began to be taken out. And it just gives a picture to me of this 
mistrust that's grown where instead of becoming more of the faith community, the culture in general has begun to mistrust in one person at a time, one brick at a time. People have kind of moved a little bit further away and a little bit further away. And, and I tell you that not to be discouraging because I'm not discouraged, but there's something beautiful when we go back to what the early church was like. And this letter to Philemon is a picture of that for us. And in case you haven't been with us in the first two weeks of the series, we started by saying Philemon is a person. He's a person that Paul, who's one of our earliest church leaders, actually was part of Philemon's discovery and transformation of Jesus. And then Philemon brought it back to this city called Colossae as a part of that and was actually leading kind of a movement, the church, the people of God together. And so the letter's to him personally, but it's also a letter to all of us. In fact, it was read to the whole church, read publicly, even though it was to Philemon directly. Which, by the way, just take a pause and think about that. You get written this letter by someone you really look up to, a leader, and it's to be read to everyone, but it's to you. Anybody just a little bit nervous from that? Because it was for me, like, oh, geez. I just think it's funny to go, I thought you all should know what he's telling me. But that is the nature of this. And I, I want to remind us, just because we were in, we've been through two weeks already of this, that we started talking about how Philemon isn't a unique person, that he's alone this way, but there's this call on really being part of the church, on being fully engaged. Paul calls him a co-laborer and a brother. All these wonderful words to say, You're, we're in this together. And it's meant for all of us to live that way. And then last week, we looked at a very particular situation where Philemon has had someone who was a slave to him, Onesimus, and he had betrayed him and also run away. And in the course of events, Paul ended up meeting Onesimus, him discovering Jesus, Onesimus, and Paul's now asking to have him come back and Philemon to embrace him. That's the short story of where we were last week. And in fact, if you were here, we kind of gave a picture through a story from, uh, from Dublin Iron of this door on a church and this idea of cutting a hole in it. And I'm not going to get to all of it. I just want to tell you this part because on Tuesday, I literally get a text from someone in the church and it's a picture of that door. They are in Ireland last week. I'm like, well, that's pretty amazing. What did you do, get on a plane Monday, go there and take a picture? I, so I just thought it was crazy. And what we did last week was kind of in the invitation to how do I engage in something vulnerably? How do I take a risk? What we want to do this week in this final part of the letter is not ask what does that mean in a moment, but what does that mean day after day after day to re-engage where things are broken. And that's where we take this final part of the letter with Paul that he's writing it to Philemon. And so as we look at it, he really starts this section off reiterating something he said earlier. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him, meaning Onesimus, as you would welcome me. In other words, I want you to look at this person who's betrayed you and been difficult for you, and now I'm going to invite you to relate to them in a way that makes no sense in the culture and love him as a brother, but treat him like it's me. There's some interrelationship I want you to understand. And we talked last week about this idea of being partners. And I love uh, Scott McKnight as he's written a whole commentary on this book. I love the way he describes what it means to be a partner. Partner, we said, was the word koinonia. It means fellowship and participation. But this is how he describes it. It's mutually reciprocating life under the cruciform Lord Jesus, which means shaped by the cross, established by reconciliation. Now tell me there aren't a lot of polysyllabic neologisms just in that deal right there, huh? Like, oh my goodness, who talks like this? People write like this. They don't talk like this. At least people I know don't talk like this. Let's make it simple. What he's saying is there's a back and forth in relationship. There's a way we relate to you to me and me to you that is basically built on, and I love the idea of cruciform. Who says cruciform? But you know what? For a Christian, it should actually be centered to our understanding because all it means is we're actually shaped by the cross, meaning we live like Jesus lived, which we love the idea of it, but we want him to live that way so we can live resurrected. And yet what, he, what Paul is saying through all of this is we share in the life of Jesus. That means we share in the difficulty and the suffering and the struggle because something else is born out of it. That is the way of God is cruciform life. And I don't want us to miss this. And then he finishes with it being a foundation of reconciliation. So let me say it to you this way. That basically to become the people of God, there is forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. There is repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation. There is forgiveness and repentance and repentance and forgiveness and forgiveness and repentance and repentance and forgiveness and a... 
Sorry, that's just how it goes in my mind. But it leads to reconciling relationships. And what he's saying is the way of partnership is not make sense in the world, and we can't do it on our own. In other words, Jesus came not just to forgive us, but to fill us and live in such a new way as we live a cruciform life, a life shaped by the cross, we actually have something different that transpires together. And so while last week maybe was an introduction to be vulnerable, I think this week is a way to say, what's this look like to live moment by moment and day by day? So let me take you to what Paul says next. I had too much caffeine this morning, and it's like making my mouth dry. I knew you wanted to know that, so I told you. I don't have a good editing chip always. This is where he continues. Speaking of Onesimus, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now, I'm assuming if you read this like I do, you're like, man, that Paul is one guilting machine, isn't he? Like, I need therapy if this is the way he's going to tell it to me. Hey, listen, you owe me. You should take him back. Isn't that how we often read things like this? Like, you read it and you go, it's almost like he's going, listen, this is what you're supposed to do. Do it. Do it. Come on, do it. Right now, do it. You go ahead. You take him back. Do it. You do it right now. You have a problem? You do it. If he owes you money, you tell me, I'll take care of you. Do it. That's what you're supposed to do. Just do it. And I think we often read scripture that way. You're supposed to just do it. And we read it through this lens of kind of obligation and duty and guilt. And I'm here to tell you, this is my way I'm proposing. I think that's not how Paul's writing at all. I think Paul is actually writing this as an invitation. And I think he's inspired by what he's saying. I think he's speaking much more out of relationship, saying, you have suffered, I am with you in this. He has suffered, I am with you in this. He's betrayed, I am with you in this. Paul is saying, let's be in this together. Something is different, and this is an invitation to listen. I'm inviting you to live a life of forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation, and I'm in it with you. Now, in case you don't think that's central even to what Scripture teaches, let me take you back just to one, one story that Jesus tells that I find applies here to me. So Jesus, when he's talking about how we're to live, tells a story of what is known as the prodigal son, if you're familiar with it. If you're not, don't worry, I'm still going to tell it to you anyway. So he tells a story of uh, two sons born to a father, and one of them basically says, Dad, I want my inheritance now, which is basically saying it's as good as dead, just give me what I'm owed now. And the father literally gives him half of his estate, half the money, and the kid runs off spends it, does all sorts of horrible things, and comes to the end of it. And at the end of that story, he's just begging to come home just to be a servant. And on his way home, the father sees him. He's been waiting. He runs to him, and he restores him as a son, and they celebrate. And off on the side is the older brother who's always been towing the party line, doing his first, and he's just angry and mad. Now, I want you to see that story because we always think of the one who's broken and being restored, and think of the one who's being more legalistic, but we don't consider the two of them as players together. So, so think of it this way. We tend to love hearing someone's redemptive story. They've had a mess, and man, I love that God's changing it, unless the mess was caused to us. You see, the older brother had a price to pay in this and didn't want to be part of it and still had bad motives in it that he had to deal with. And I think the prodigal son story is a story we often think about the father, but not the relationship between the brothers. And I want to tell it to you because I think in this situation, Paul is literally taking a story like that and going, now you're together, what are you going to do? And I'm going to give you a different way to live. I'm going to invite you into something you could never do on your own. And so what he invites them into is this way of actually letting go, actually finding forgiveness and repentance in a way that makes no sense at all. I want to really just give you a picture of this that I hope is helpful, but gives a long look at what something like this means instead of just a moment of, hey, if there's a debt, I'll help with it. I mean, let's be honest. If you're broken in a relationship, does it change in one moment? It takes a long time to work through those things, doesn't it? So let me give you a picture some years ago, it was actually in the 90s, Rwanda had a horrible 
genocide thing that happened, and, and basically they had this reconciliation project that came out of it. Uh, some years after that, Danielle Strickland, who is a pastor and leader in the um, Salvation Army, was part of a tour back to Rwanda to go experience some of what they had done trying to come out of it. In case you don't know with the genocide, it was basically a civil war, and a whole bunch of people were just, their families were murdered by one side, and so there was this horrible victim side, and then there was the perpetrators that did all the killing. So Danielle enters into Rwanda with a group of people and gets to sit down with two people that are part of this reconciliation village, this project. So they meet Grace, who's a survivor, and they meet John, who is one of the perpetrators of the genocide. And literally, as Grace is introducing John, they're neighbors, and she's describing him as her neighbor and her friend. And in addition, he's the one who actually slaughtered my family. And there is shock and kind of a breathtaking, I don't know what to do with this with the group there. And you can think, what questions would you have? I mean, this isn't a fluffy, well, Jesus forgave him, and I just built a house next to him. Like, the journey of this is profound. And the questions were all roaming through all of the heads of those there. And it basically came down to this. How can this even be possible? you got to tell us how this happened. So they were honest. Grace began to share first of the pain she had after the death of her family, the murder of her family, and how she just wanted to die. She couldn't even go on. What do I live like in this? How can I live through this? She speaks of long seasons of even being in therapy and journeying through all of this bitterness and anger and began to share how ultimately she tried to let go of her bitterness because basically it was the only way to cope and the anger too she could let go of. But she said, there's one thing I just couldn't let go of. And she said, it was my fear. I was always afraid with what had happened. The trauma had gone. It would come again. And then John next to her begins to share. He said, you know, out of this, obviously, I was a murderous perpetrator. And I ended up in prison. And that was its own hell. But it got worse because there was a prison inside the prison. He said, because inside the prison, it was even darker. And all it was was all of the guilt for what I was doing and part of. He literally said he hated himself. He wanted to die. He knew he deserved it. He was so ashamed he could never look at anyone in the eye. And every day he lived in a prison within the prison. And she lived in a fear of everything around her. Well, after he'd been there for some season of time, an individual came, and it was part of this movement into the prison. And they told him about a program they were doing called a Reconciliation Project. They said, we will commute half of your sentence, but here's the stipulations. You need to fully admit your guilt. You need to also tell everything that happened in terms of what you did and others that did it that we may not know and where any bodies are buried that are not known because that will help families grieve and we'll get to more healing when we really unearth what has been shattered and broken. John literally said, I didn't even feel like I could do this and I thought I don't want any part of it. And yet something made him raise his hand. And so he began this journey. He said as he had to share the stories, he would weep, recalling everything that happened and the shame and horror of what he had done. And as he got beyond that, he began to actually letter write to Grace. It was a long journey. He said, I had to take responsibility for what I'd done wrong and now to take responsibility for what I could do. It was not a momentary change It was a long journey. And then it led them to an even longer part that was more direct. Because they began to open this village up, and they literally had John and Grace own one piece of property to build two houses on. And in the middle of that property were bricks. And the bricks were to build both houses. But the bricks were also a conduit for them to have to come together in some place, even if not intentionally, to get the bricks to go build each house. It was a place they would have to connect, a way they would have to connect. And they described it both that as those bricks were there and as they would go to them, it would be full of awkwardness. They would both not even want to have to see the other and try to go at times they weren't there. Grace would speak of every time going, the fear that would just almost cripple her, and John, the shame that would just cripple him. And they dreaded even coming together to get bricks, hoping it would be when the other wasn't there day after day and week after week. 
That would not be the end of it. In fact, during that time in John's area and desire to repent, he would begin building on her house, even when he was done with work on his in the day, and go well extended after she'd left. He would walk over and begin to work on it. He couldn't face her, but he could at least serve her. So brick by brick, he would begin to demonstrate some sense of repentance. But then it's what they both said as the weeks went on. That as they were going to the brick pile, they would be confronting the demons they both carried of unforgiveness and not repenting. That they would both face the demons of their fear and their shame. And pretty soon when they would happen to meet up, Grace would actually ask John for advice and he would give it and often would even help carry it out to help her. And she would say the fear actually started to fade in her own mind. And for him, the shame would start to quiet in his heart. And what happened was they would begin to enjoy each other's company over time and ultimately not only were reconciled but became dear, dear friends, inexplainably. So Danielle Strickland, as she's hearing this, comes out and says, you know what, after being there, I now picture the cross differently. She said, when I see the cross, I see bricks at the foot of the cross. And I realize that we need to come together And brick by brick, reconcile with each other. Brick by brick, be in places where we're working and growing together. And there is repentance and there is forgiveness. And there is forgiveness and there is repentance. And there is repentance and there is forgiveness. And reconciling begins to take shape one brick at a time. Can we just agree it's a long journey, not a short journey, to something amazing that God wants to do? Can we agree that what Paul was asking Philemon to do had at least the vein of this, not to the severity, but the vein of it? In fact, I want you to hear the text again one more time with this, and I want you just to consider it in light of this image instead of the way we typically would, which is guilt and responsibility. I want you to hear Paul's invitation to do something new, brick by brick, to do something new, moving towards in a place you don't want to move towards each other. Because let's be honest, for both Onesimus and Philemon, they'd have every reason not to come near each other and every reason to fear what might happen in it. Hear it again. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I am in this with you. You're not alone. And I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll tell you, I'll be part of paying it back. Not to mention you owe me. In other words, I've been part of fathering you spiritually. You know how Philemon came to faith? He was in Ephesus. He met Paul. He discovered Jesus in supernatural and natural ways. And he went back home to Colossae and was like, my whole life changed. And the church began to grow in Colossae from that. And then his servant who runs away, we know out of horrible things in one way or another, somehow gets 120 miles away, which is an achievement on its own, by the way, in the ancient world, and ends up meeting Paul, the same Paul, and discovers Jesus too. And Paul's like, I'm bringing these two back together. Because God's going to do something that makes no sense in ways that make no sense. And it will be an image for changing the world. It is powerful when we consider it this way. And, And I'll say it very simply to us. I think we build Jesus' church together brick by brick. I think the way that culture and everything in us has caused us to separate from each other and pull away from each other and that we're so mistrusting of institutions in general, we've lost the very movement of God that's saying, let me build it back together and let you become something you could never do on your own. Because in case you don't believe it, I don't believe we could ever do this on our own. And that's one of the crazy things for me about faith. We are highly achieving-oriented self-promoting and self-advancing people. And the beauty about our faith is to set those things aside and go, I actually need you to change me, God, because I could never forgive or love or repent or even build together with them in my own natural way. But man, God wants to do something amazing in us and through us brick by brick. Paul then includes himself again. I do wish, brother, that you may have some, I may have some benefit from the Lord, from you in the Lord. He's basically saying, you got something to bring to me. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm confident not only of your obedience, but I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. 
Onesimus and Philemon coming together and rebuilding does something in Paul's faith that elevates for him. In other words, when we reconcile, others around us are built up too. Do you realize that? That the whole idea of seeing some transformation that's unexplainable, inexplainable, and loving does something that all of us go, man, this makes me trust even more that God is in this and is doing something. And Paul is refreshed by it. And then he says, I'm trusting you'll go above and beyond. I don't think it's a pressure. I think he's looking at him going, I see that in you, Philemon. I see a love for Jesus in you. I see a transforming work in you. I am believing God will do things you don't think possible. And I'm putting you together in the room because it's going to cause that to grow and happen. And it just makes me wonder how many things have broken down and are that God's inviting us to build back together and refreshing us along the way. And all Paul does through the rest of the letter, it's pretty simple, and I'm not going to read through the passages, is he basically then reminds him he's part of this. He goes, hey, listen, I'm, I'm planning to come back, get a room ready for me. And that's his way of saying, I'm in this with you. See, that's one of the beautiful things about reconciling is it's not you go do it by yourself. It's we are part of this with you. When we're broken and devastated and struggling and mistrusting, when we feel so ashamed that we can't imagine being restored, man, that's us together. Paul's saying, I'm part of this with you, not just go figure it out and do it. And we would say, we're in it together. There's a beauty to that. And then he finishes by basically telling about all these other people. There are other brothers and sisters in Christ. He just lists names, and he's basically going, they're a partner, 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 here a partner, they're a partner, everywhere a partner. I don't know what he's saying. He's just pointing out, you're not alone. And guess what? Lots of us are partnering to be people who follow and live for Jesus and help others become who they've made them to be and are inspired to actually find relationships restored that are broken and reconciled that seem never able to. That is going to change the world. And that's what did change the world, by the way, in this early life of the church. And then I love how he finishes. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Because he's basically saying that what I've offered you, you can't do by yourself. You do realize that if all we did was preach to you ways to live better or things that are, here's some practical advice to help you do what you should do. It's, it's helpful, but that's not centered on our dependence of the grace of Jesus. And it's so much lower than what God wants to do. <laughs> like, I'm, I want you to work on things. I think it's great that we give our activity in life to getting better at what we do. But if we don't reach a place where we go, I can't do this, and God's grace will have to pull me into these things, we haven't truly discovered what it means to follow him. Because he changes people that can't change. He changes people that can't make it out. And in case you don't know, no one can. I just love that. I love him putting us in places where you go, I don't even know how this is going to happen. But man, we need your grace. We need you to be the one that moves among us brick by brick, bringing forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation and forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. Let me say it this way to hopefully help us as we finish the series. The cross can shape your life. Most of us, if not all, who would say we follow Jesus would say we understand the cross is the center of how we become believers. But to really let the cross shape our lives means that we live in a surrendered way that will not make sense. We will risk things that don't make sense. We will step into things that we don't think can work or be changed, and brick by brick, something does change. Living a cross-shaped life, a cruciform, if you will, and I'll say it this way, the cross can shape us together. Like, it can't just be a few that want to live this way, and the rest are like, well, you know, I'll put Jesus in my hip pocket, and I'll have Jesus in case I need something, but I'm still going to go where I'm going and live where I'm living. Like, a cross-shaped life says we are literally living at the center of who he is and being led by him to live and do things that we wouldn't want to and can't do on our own. And then I'll just finish with that, that it's done brick by brick. One day, one moment in an awkward place, one brick at a time, rebuilding, letting things begin to fade that can't fade, watching forgiveness and repentance and reconciling happen in a way that's unexplainable. Whew. Man, it sounds great and it feels overwhelming, doesn't it?
But it's part to me where I go, I just love asking God to help us do it. So I want to pray. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes if you're comfortable and kind of lead us through some different points to pray and even places and postures of it. So Lord, I, I first come on behalf of all of us and ask your spirit to speak. I don't know what you want to say, but I pray you'll speak to each person where they need you today. Oh, Lord, I pray for those that somehow either feel too hidden or broken to ever be able to get out of a prison of their own shame that you would begin to show them how much you love them and see them and can forgive. And for those who feel so fearful and mistrusting and broken in that way that you'd begin to let them see how trustworthy and loving and for them you are too. Lord, I pray at the beginning for any here who may not follow you that they would hear your whisper to say, I love you, receive my forgiveness, and you, they would just ask for it. So if you want to respond to Jesus, you just say simply, I have sinned, I am a mess, and I need your forgiveness, and I want your life to fill me. And then, Lord, I want to pray for all of us where we may be not even sure what it means to have a cruciform life, to have a cross-shaped life, but I pray you would begin to form and inform what that is in us, and I pray they'll ask for it. So maybe in your own life, just ask the Lord, help me to live a cross-shaped life. And then, Lord, would you bring to mind any where we have bro broken relationships, any that we have severed or stepped away, and you're inviting us to get to a brick pile in the middle of the land. And Lord, would you begin moment by moment and day by day to help us rebuild, restore, reconnect, and even find ways to be in relationship that we could never do on our own. Lord, would you help us move towards being the church instead of moving away from being at church? Would you help us to hear the call Paul gave to Philemon to be partners in this thing? And would you help us to live and love differently? I pray this in your name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand. We always give a little space to worship and celebrate communion. They're really places we receive while we sing and pour out. We're singing words that reflect what we had been taught. And we're simply asking God to meet us. And maybe you'll sing them honestly. Maybe you'll sing them with reservation. But be honest with God. Like, I want this. I'm, not, I'm scared of it. And still sing as you're able to as we worship and really invite a sense of surrender in everything that we have to him. Jesus, have my heart, my will, my soul. Jesus, have my hopes, my dreams, my world. With joy I lay it down, with joy I cast my crowns. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, I bring my praise, my lips. My song, a living sacrifice as one reborn. This life is now my own. Your will is what I want. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have it all. To you belongs the glory, the praise of all the world. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have it all. A blessing in all honor, all majesty in all. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have it all. Jesus, have your church, your love, your bride, the joy for which you freely gave 
your life radiant and white washed and purified Jesus have a soul Jesus have your worth your due your song the praise of every nation tribe and tongue let all that has been made glorify your name Jesus have it all Jesus have it all Jesus have it all to you belongs the glory the praise of all the world Jesus have it all Jesus have it all a blessing in all honor majesty in all Jesus have it all Jesus have it all to you belongs the glory the praise of all the world Jesus have it all Jesus have it all a blessing in all honor a majesty invite you to be seated for just a few minutes. We celebrate communion, the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper every week when we come together. The church has done it from the first days after Jesus rose and told us to remember. You'll see that there's a cup. Hopefully when you came in, it has the bread in the top and the drink in the bottom. If you missed it and you want to get it next week, we have it every week. There's no stipulation that you have to be a member here. Uh, we simply want to invite you if you're moving towards Jesus. And if you're not ready for that, we don't want you to feel any obligation either, but this is a sacred activity that centers us on how he has loved us, how he forgives, how he changes and gives life to us. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. It's a bread Paul later describes as he says, we're one loaf, meaning the bread is his body. We are all that together. And so it's meant for all of us together. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body and it is given for you, we receive that. In the same way, he took the cup. So it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. We not only receive it, and it is the sweetness of our salvation, we then live into it. That's the cruciform life. That's the idea that we live a life of forgiveness and repentance and helping others to be reconciled. Let's take of that. Lord, I'm asking for your grace to be poured out freshly, Lord. Whether we experience it, whether we sense it, would you pour out peace and life and hope to each one today and deepen our love received from you and love give to others. Continue to lead us now. In your name, Lord, amen. Let me invite you to stand as we sing again, giving him everything, whether reluctantly or joyfully. It's a commitment, God, help us to want this and to live this way. Let's worship. Blessing in all honor, 
I want to give you a blessing before you head out. And before I do that, uh, just let you know, we actually begin Advent this next Sunday. It is a week early technically, but what happens is Christmas Eve does double duty as the fourth Sunday and the day. So we said, we're not double duty in it. We're going back a week. We figured you'd all benefit from an extra week of Advent anyway. So we made the executive decision to violate the entire church calendar and have an extra week of Advent. Lord have mercy on us. But I engage with us in Advent. We are, we literally are people of Advent. Like that's what Advent is in the life of the church because we live between his first coming and his second. And when in Advent, we live into what our whole year is really about. So it's significant how we enter this season. And I want to invite you back to be part of that in the four weeks leading up to it and Christmas itself. Let me have you place your hands out and give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with the Spirit. May you hear the invitation to live a cross-shaped life joyfully. (laughs) May as you do things that are awkward and difficult, it actually lead you to love and life and forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation in ways you never expected. And may you bring glory to him, joy in your own life, and love to those around you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.